Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. So we're on page 598, the middle of, middle of chapter 41. And uh, we learned last week that in additional to the specific intent that every Jew must have when you do a mitzvah, that you're doing the mitzvah in order to serve Hashem. Hashem is my king, my personal king, and I'm accepting upon myself the yoke of heaven. In addition to that thought, we also, he introduces a, a, another thought, another motivation that motivates us to do the mitzvah, and that is that we are part of the Jewish whole, and we represent, each and every one of us is a representative of the Jewish whole, of Klal Yisrael, of the entire Jewish people. So when I'm doing a mitzvah, it's not just my, I'm connecting my individual self with Hashem. I'm connecting on behalf of the entire Jewish people, I'm connecting the entire Jewish people with the essence of Hashem. So you're really part of a whole. You can't just think of yourself as an isolated individual. A Jew is never alone. By definition, being Jewish means that we're part of something larger than ourselves. We're part of Chal Yisrael. And um, just like when you learn Torah, it's not, there's a lot more going on than meets the eye. It's not just your conscious mind learning the revealed part of the Torah that you can grasp. At the same time, through your conscious mind, your soul and the source of your soul is also learning Torah and is connecting with the soul of the author of the Torah, which Hashem, that part of Hashem which is beyond and transcends that part which is revealed and available and accessible to us. So there is a, a connection that's going on on a much deeper level. It's almost like a subconscious connection that's going on. So, so the conscious connection is only the, only the tip of the iceberg. But while we're connecting on a conscious level, there's so much, something much deeper happening going on at the same time. So the source of our individual soul, which is the Shekhinah, which represents the entire Jewish people, is connecting with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, with Hashem Himself, which is transcendent and transcends the entire universe. So we can't connect um, to the Shekhinah as an individual. We have to connect as all souls. Exactly. Because the Shekhinah represents the whole. Hashem represents the whole. So just like the organ, when you schlep someone by the arm, the arm is just one organ out of the 248 organs in the body. But are you just schlepping the arm? No, when you schlep the arm, you take along with it the whole person. I'm schlepping the whole person. The whole soul comes along for the ride, the whole person. So when you do one mitzvah, when one individual organ, when one Jew is doing one single mitzvah, you're not just schlepping that one organ, that one individual. You're also schlepping with it. You're schlepping the whole, the whole Kal Yisrael, the whole Jewish organism. And you're connecting it with the, with, the, with the essence of Hashem. So, yes, it's not, you're not alone. And, um, and the only way to really connect with Hashem 
is really, the only way to approach Hashem is to approach as part of something larger than ourselves. And that's the sign of godliness. The sign of godliness is unity. When there's unity. The only way to approach Hashem is through unification. When, although we know that two Jews, three opinions, and there's, there's no one as diverse as the Jewish people, because we can't agree on anything. That's why the Torah says, if two, you trust two Jewish witnesses. Because if you get two Jews to agree on something, you know 100% that must be true. Uh, every nation in the world, when they greet each other, like in English, you say hello, and how does the other person respond? Hello. And that's normal, and that's in every language in the world, except amongst Jews. How do you greet your fellow Jew? Shalom Aleichem. So logically, how should the Jew respond? Shalom Aleichem. No. You say Shalom Aleichem, how does the Jew respond? Aleichem Shalom. You say Shalom Aleichem, I have to say the exact opposite. Aleichem Shalom. We don't see eye to eye. And nevertheless, there's a unity. Not a uniformity. There's no uniformity. No two people look alike. No two people are alike. Everyone is a unique individual. Everyone is a world apart. Everyone adds something unique and individual to the whole Jewish experience. There's never been a Jew like you. There never will be. Not past, not present, not future. Every one of us is unique. We bring something unique to the Jewish experience. And the entire Jewish people depend on us and our developing our individuality and personality and character and developing our own personal relationship with Hashem. But at the same time, a Jew is not alone. There is a unity. There's a connection. We belong. We're part of a community. No matter how great a Jew is. Moses, the greatest individual, but he was the leader of the Jewish people. He was part of the Jewish whole. You can never isolate yourself. God had to wrestle with Moses for seven days. He refused to become a leader. He wanted to live in isolation. He wanted to continue his pursuit in the desert, meditation, spirituality, continue his spiritual growth. And had he, had he followed his own path, he would never become Moses. How did he become Moses? By sacrificing himself and becoming the leader of the whole, of the whole community. And that's when he grew into Moses. That's when he really revealed his true potential. So for a Jew, individuality and community are not only mutually exclusive, they actually enhance each other. On one hand, we don't sacrifice the individual for the community. Every individual is a reflection of God himself, of the whole. Just like every mitzvah reflects the whole. On the other hand, all mitzvot are connected, all Jews are connected, and you never live in isolation. Just like in the Torah scroll. The Torah scroll represents the Jewish people. The word Yisrael, the word for Israel, is an acronym. Reyesh, Shishim, Ribuy, Oasis, Latera, the 600,000 letters in the Torah scroll. So just like a Torah scroll. Torah scroll, if a Torah scroll is missing one single letter, the whole Torah is invalid. It doesn't matter which letter. Not only the letter of Shema Yisrael or the letter of the Ten Commandments. Any letter, the whole Torah is invalid. On the other hand, Every letter has to have its own space. If two letters touch each other, if one letter swallows up another letter, if every letter doesn't have its own unique individuality, the whole Torah is invalid. It's that unique combination, individuality, but also I'm part of something larger than ourselves. Look at the climax of prayer, the holiest moment of prayer, the Shemona Esri. It's amazing. Everyone is praying silently. It's called a silent prayer, quietly. Lost, you're lost in your thoughts, you're lost in your prayer. It's your personal rendezvous with God. And yet at the same time, you draw strength in the fact you're not praying alone. 
there's men, there are women, of course, separated with a divider, but children all in the same moment, all in the same building, all lost in their own unique world, which is why men and women are separate, because it's not a social event. Every one of us has our own unique and privileged relationship with God. Our spouses have nothing to do with it. We have a, a relationship that transcends even our social relations, even our spouses. Every one of us has a personal relationship with God. This is prayer is a moment. It's my personal rendezvous with God. I'm not here with my family. It's not a social event. I'm coming to the theater with my family to listen to the cantor. Prayer is a time when you're lost in prayer and you're, you have an intimate relationship with God. Your personal rendezvous. But at the same time, you're drawing strength from the fact that you're in the same building with the entire community. The entire community is represented. Men, women, and children. Actually, the word for tzibur in the Talmud which is community, is an acronym for three words. Tzadikim, Beninim, Rishayim. Who is the community? What comprises the community? The righteous, the intermediaries, and even the wicked. Because a community that leaves out the wicked is not a community. You are part, every Jew, from the greatest to the smallest, from the most miserable to the greatest and the most exalted. Every single one of them belongs to the community, is plugged into the community, is part of the community. And it's only when a Jew, the Tzadik, includes himself in the community and senses that I am part of a whole that's greater, that's larger than all of us put together. The whole is greater than the sum total of its parts and you plug in and you connect with that. That gives you your strength even as you grow individually. As you connect individually with Hashem but you know you, you get strength in the fact that you belong to the community. And that's, that, that's what Alter Rebbe is saying that this has to be an essential ingredient in your thought, in your motivation to do the mitzvah. You always have to remember at all times, even as, you, even as you're growing personally, individually, and connecting with God and becoming more godly and more spiritual, you have to remember at all times that you are part of something larger than yourself. There's a lot more going on than meets the eye. We're like pressing a button and like the NASA scientists sitting in Texas and pressing a button and millions of miles away things are happening, the the spacecraft is, is orbiting. We don't even realize what we're accomplishing. We don't even realize what is going on as a consequence, as a result of our actions and our thoughts and our positive thoughts. The repercussions are infinite. It's not just we are touched, the entire Jewish people are touched, are affected, and are elevated, and are connected through my single individual act. Like you press a button and a whole symphony goes off. We don't even, even if you don't hear the music, but nevertheless, that's the truth. And that's what the Rebbe is addressing now. That's what we're going to learn today. Because this is a little troubling. Because we don't hear the music. And so, am I faking it? Am I pretending? Do I really care? I mean, naturally, we're egotistical by nature. So, a person could sublimate his ego. A person could harness his ego. Instead of pursuing money, power, fame... I want to pursue spiritual growth, use my energy, my ego drive. I want to become somebody. I want to make something of my life. But then you realize, how do you make something of your life? What's, what's life really all about? It's not about externals, money, power, fame. These are all ephemeral. These are all things that are, these are vanished. They just vanish. There's nothing really there of substance. It's just a dream, an illusion. You want substance. You want to become something of substance. You want to truly connect, truly matter. You have to connect with the divine. So a person could genuinely sublimate his ego and realize that you want to become a spiritual person. You want to become a, a meaningful person, a deep person, an intense person, an inner person. 
someone who's really in touch with, with reality, beyond, beyond the surface. So that's a genuine motivation. But to say that I am so selfless, that I'm not thinking about myself, I'm thinking about the Jewish people, let's be honest. Whom are we kidding? We're not saints, we're humans. Every human being is motivated by ego, self-preservation. So at best, you can ask me to harness and to sublimate this motivation instead of just ego pursuits, instant gratification, materialistic pursuits. I'm going to use that energy and that drive and that ego drive to pursue spirituality. It takes a lot of stamina. It takes a lot of motivation. It takes a lot of energy, courage, strength to, to truly develop, develop your soul. And that, a person, that's what Hashem asks of us and that's what you can demand of us and that's a genuine motivation. But to start telling me that I have to think about that I'm doing a mitzvah and I'm a representative for the Jewish people and, and I'm not thinking about myself. I'm doing this for the sake of the Jewish people and I'm doing this for the sake of the unification of the, my, the source of my soul, the Jewish whole, this entity called Kalal Yisrael, the Jewish whole, and the Shechina, Hashem's manifest presence, which is synonymous with Klal Yisrael, the source of the Jewish souls, and um, achieving a unification with God, Yichud Kuchabrichu Shchinte, the transcendent God way transcends the frame of reference is universe and its entire frame of reference in the universe and the unification of Shechina, the level that God manifests in the world, or the unification between the masculine and the feminine, between Klal Yisrael and Hashem. I mean, a tzaddik could mean this for real. Because a tzaddik is a selfless person. A tzaddik, a complete tzaddik, is completely egoless. But that excludes 99.9.9% of us. So who, whom are we kidding? And yet the Alter Rebbe says that it's imperative for every Jew, even for average Jews like us, to make that part of our frame of reference, to make that part of our thinking, part of our inner, inner thinking. When we do a mitzvah, we should use this as a motivation. And Hasidists in general frowned upon reaching beyond yourself, deluding yourself. A person should never delude himself. The emphasis was on honesty, integrity. Be straight with yourself. Be honest with yourself. Don't try to be something that you're not. Hasidists couldn't stand. It was like a, this form of fakery when a person pretends to be something that he's not. You know, a person pretends to be all inflamed, enthusiastic, and he's talking on levels that are totally beyond him. It's not genuine. He hasn't internalized it. He hasn't integrated it. It's, it's not real. You know, it's, it's, it's artificial. It's superficial. It's external. It's not... You're trying to be something that you're not. A person has to be honest with himself. Earlier in the Tanya, we learned, Al-Tarevi laughed. Laughed at those who take, who think that they're, it's mentioned in the holy books that if a person has a negative thought you should elevate the negative thought. If the negative thought, let's say you had a lewd thought, so you have to go to the source of the thought. The source of the thought is love, but this is a distorted form of love. Lust is a distorted form of love. But obviously, you're seeking genuine love. You're missing love in your life. So therefore, because of a lack of love in your life, therefore, uh, it's replaced or it's um, expressed in a very distorted way Via, way, uh, via lust or negative thoughts, lewd thoughts. So therefore, you have to, if you want to elevate these lewd thoughts, you have to go to the source. You have to realize what's lacking in your life. You're lacking love, a genuine love, and work on and develop your love for Hashem. It means you have to strengthen your love for Hashem. 
And now the Rebbe laughs at this concept. For people like us, he says, this concept is not talking about people like us, the Benini. He's talking about a tzaddik, a tzaddik who, who has sublimated his ego. So where are these lewd thoughts coming from? It doesn't come from within him. It, it, there's, he has no evil inclination. So therefore, this is a signal that he has to intensify and elevate his love for Hashem, and he has to reveal the source of these lewd thoughts, and thereby elevating the sparks, the holy sparks, that crashed and fell and, and are expressed in this very distorted, grotesque form, in the form of Luthos. But people like us, you know why we're thinking Luthos? Because we're, we're human beings and we're, we're grounded in this world and it comes natural to us. So you don't have to go digging deep. He says, this is not for people like us. And al laughs and he calls them fools. Don't be a fool. Don't be a fool who pretends to be a tzaddik. You have to know your level. You have to know your strengths and you have to know your limits. Don't try to be a tzaddik. This whole approach is written for tzaddikim, for people who, who have transformed their whole being, their subconscious. You have to know yourself. You have to know who you are. Don't try to be something that you're not. So Hasidim had a healthy disrespect for people who try to overreach. Spiritually overreach. Like, come on, be for real. Don't become, don't, don't be, pretend. Don't pretend. Don't be artificial. Don't reach beyond yourself. Although there's a, a story that um, Alter Rebbe was released from prison, so someone who was instrumental in releasing him from prison made a condition with Alter Rebbe that he has to meet three of the great Goinim, three of the great Tamburic geniuses, recognized geniuses in his day and age. This was already after the Vilna Goin already passed away, so there were three recognized geniuses in Lithuania, Talmudic geniuses, who were in the opposition, who were opposed to Hasidism, and the condition was he'll help out the Rebbe be released if he promises he's going to visit these luminaries of the uh, opposition. al Rebbe agreed. Now one of them asked him, he says, why do Hasidim spend so much time in prayer and meditating and, and they uh, start singing in the middle of prayer and they get all excited. I mean, you know, they're pretending. They're faking. They're faking. They're, they're pretending to be so spiritual and to be so mystical and to be so profound and to be, be so intensely spiritual. Come on. They're faking. So the Rebbe smiled and he says, it says in the Mishnah that if a person fakes, pretends that he's poor, Unfortunately, there are beggars who are begging out there who are richer than the people they're begging from. <laughs> they die, and then you find out in the house that they have millions of dollars stashed in their, under their mattress. So if a person pretends to be poor and collects money from the community, and really he's rich, he will not die until he's poor. So the Rebbe says, okay, you're right, maybe the Hasidim are faking it, but the mission already promised that they won't die until, until it actually happens to them. You pretend to be spiritual, you pretend to care, you pretend to take it to heart and to be sincere and to be intense and to be deep and profound, you know. That will be your punishment. You won't die until you become genuinely spiritual and genuinely <laughs> intense. And, so faking it is not always uh, the worst thing, but in general, Hasidim's Hasidim demand, Hasidus demanded honesty. Being honest with yourself. Don't overreach. Don't try to be what you aren't, but be who you are. 
Rabbi Zushar once said, he said, when I pass away after 120 years and I come to the heavenly court, I'm not afraid that they're going to ask me why I wasn't like Moses. Why, why I wasn't like Abraham. Because I'll tell them, how could I be like Abraham? I'm not Abraham. What I'm afraid is they're going to ask me, why weren't you like Zusha? <laughs> like you, you yourself. The potential that God gave you. Why did, didn't you live up to your own potential? God gave you potential. Why didn't you live up to your own potential? So that I have nothing to answer. So this is what's troubling the Alter Rebbe. That here he's saying that it's imperative that every one of us should always include the entire Jewish people in everything that we're doing, in our own personal spiritual growth. But he says, but it's not genuine. We don't mean it. We can't be sincere. We're not that selfless. I don't care about myself. I just care about the community, the Jewish whole. Right? Who are we kidding? We know of all these uh, idealists, you know, the communists who cared about their, the community, nothing personal. We noticed. <laughs> right? They became the powers to be, and they grabbed all the powers and all the privileges. Um, of course, there are rare individuals. There are. The tzaddik, especially the complete tzaddik, one or two in every generation, who genuinely, selflessly, the Moses of the generation, the Rebbe, genuinely and selflessly cared only for the community. Didn't take a day's vacation. His whole life he lived for the community. He lived for the Hasidim. He lived for the Jewish people. He didn't take anything for himself. He owned nothing. He passed away. The Rebbe passed away. He owned nothing. He hardly had a penny in his bank account. He had nothing. Everything he had, he gave to the Jewish people. He lived for the Jewish people. Didn't take a day off for himself. So this is one, one, one or two in a generation. But for the rest of us, that this is a motivation for us, that this is for real, this is genuine, let's be honest, it's not. So why pretend? Why would Al Rebbe tell us, why would the Torah, why would Hashem ask us to fake it, to pretend, to overreach? To be something that we're not. And perhaps we can be, because it's, we're not constituted for that. We're motivated by ego, by self. You can be motivated by a refined ego, a spiritual ego, but it's all ego. Even religion, it's all ego, it's all I. So, uh, how do we bridge the gap? I mean, let's say yeah, we want to have a lust for money, right? I mean, we all want more money. So, how do we turn that desire for money into... Uh... Actually, we, we learn a lot of good things from, from that lust for money. It says human nature is a person who has $100 lusts for $200. Once a person gets $200, then now he lusts for $400. It's like when you come to a person to give tzedakah, he says, no, no, no. Now I don't have money. When I have money, then I'll give tzedakah. Have a, in his mind, when I have $100,000 in the bank, once he has $100,000, what's $100,000? That's not money. I'll have a million dollars in the bank, then I'll start giving tzedakah. Once he has a million, what's a million? I have $10 million. Then of course, he never ends up giving tzedakah because he's up to a billion already, but no, no, no. I only so have a billion. How do we bridge the gap? But, but to take that quality, that's a wonderful quality. 
Not when it comes to material things, when it comes to spiritual things. That he who has a hundred wants two hundred. So who, whatever you've accomplished spiritually, you should be ambitious. When it comes to, you should take that quality from money and use it for spirituality. That when it comes to our spiritual well-being, don't be satisfied. It's enough. Thank God. Thank God I have, I have money in the bank. That's all I need. I'm satisfied. That's, very, that's a wonderful quality when it comes to our material being. A person should be satisfied with what he has and not just be nakedly uh, you know, ambitious and, and without any end in sight and you're never satisfied and you're never happy and you're always miserable and you just drive yourself crazy. So, but when it comes to spirituality, that's a wonderful quality to learn, to adapt. That if you have a hundred, now I want two hundred. I'm doing one mitzvah. Now I want two mitzvahs. I'm hungry. It only whetted my appetite. Now I have two mitzvahs. I'm coming to shul twice a week. No, no, no. Now I want four days a week. It's not enough. <laughs> it only whets my appetite. So you have to use, utilize all these qualities. Like Rabbi Zusha of Anipala once said, I learned... I think it was six things he learned from a gardener, from a thief. A thief. How a thief never gives up. A thief, will tr- if he fails, will try again. He plans uh, a small theft, small heist, equally to a, uh, or, or it's a huge heist, he plans it meticulously. There are many qualities you can learn from all these negative things, all these negative materialistic pursuits. You can learn all these qualities and adapt it to your own spiritual growth. So there's a lot to learn from our materialistic. You just have to sublimate and harness these energies and these qualities for the good. But these are all individual pursuits. You can sublimate and harness, but ultimately you're, you're motivated by ego, by self, by a refined self, an uplifted self, a spiritual self. To say that I'm motivated because I'm connecting the entire Jewish people to Hashem, that doesn't excite us. A person cares more about his fingernail than he cares about millions of people at the other end of the world. You know, you hear about millions of people dying or starving to death. My toenail hurts. That preoccupies me. That, I care more about that than I do. It's just human nature. We just care more about ourselves than we do about other people. So who thinks about other people? Who's motivated by other people? Um, Senator Monihan, you remember Senator Monihan from New York? He once told a story about the Rebbe. Unbelievable story. When he met the Rebbe the first time, And they finished, it was a beautiful, you know, a very moving audience. You know, the Rebbe spoke to him, he was very impressed. At the end of the audience, the Rebbe says, I want to ask you a favor. This was in the 70s, I think. I want to ask you a favor. He says, oh, okay, now it's coming. He was so impressed with the Rebbe. Now he says, okay, the Rebbe is like any other. Now he wants the favor. We had a nice rapport, a nice relationship. Now he wants payback, he wants some favor. Okay, he's ready. Yes, Rebbe, what can I do for you? Rebbe says, you know, there are many immigrants now coming from China. And they, they created a community in Chinatown, in Manhattan. And he says, you know, the Chinese people, he says, are very good people. They're hardworking. They're good people, but they're, they're very quiet. And, you know, they're being neglected. So I want to ask you a favor. Since you're the senator from New York, please 
take an interest in this community, help them. He was stunned. A Lubavitcher Rebbe, a Hasidic Rebbe, a Jew from Russia. What's his favor that he's asking him? What does he care about? What's he caring about? What's he paying attention? What's he noticing? He's not even a Jewish community. He's noticing a Chinese community, Chinatown. And he's worried about them. No one is, no one is paying attention to them. They're being, they're being neglected. He said he never had such an experience in his life. But it was the last thing he ever expected to hear. But, you know, this is one, one in, a, in a generation. Who lives like that? Who cares? We care more about our own pinky than we care about millions of people. So this motivation for us is not a genuine motivation. And yet the Rebbe says that this has to be our motivation. This has to be part of our motivation, part of our thought process, why we're doing the mitzvah. And we're not only doing it for ourselves, we're also doing it for the sake of the Jewish people. And that's what he's going to address now. And although in order that this intent should be sincere in his heart, so that his heart should truly desire this higher union, <laughs> uniting all Jewish souls with their source in godliness, his heart must harbor a great love, Ava Rabbah, for Hashem alone. Often, loving another is ultimately a result of self-love. A person loves that which is good for him. Same is true with regard to loving Hashem and desiring to cleave to Him through the study of Torah and the performance of mitzvah. The individual desires his own welfare and that which will benefit his own soul. And there can be no better way of achieving this than by cleaving to Hashem. If, however, he is to truly desire the unification of all Jewish souls with their source in Hashem, a much deeper love is required, a love untainted by the faintest vestige of self-interest, a love wholly and exclusively directed toward Hashem. So a regular love, every love, is really self-love. Because you love, it's self-expression. This is good for me. I'm attracted to it. I love it. I love what it does to me. So even when you love Hashem, you want to connect with Hashem. You love godliness because that's the source of life. Hashem is the source of life. Hashem is the source of my life, of my reality. The more grounded, the more connected I am with Hashem, the more alive I am, the more for real I am. So this is a love. It's my interest. It's in my interest to be connected with Hashem. So it's all about me. It's self-expression. But then there's a higher love. Avarabba. A great love. A love that knows no limits. A love that's not limited to self-interest. A love for a truly selfless love. Like the love of David and Yonatan. A truly selfless love. A love, a love that's not, there's no, not dependent. There's no ego motivation. There's no ulterior motive. Genuine love. I'm doing this for you. Not for me. I really love you and I'm doing this for you. I'm, I'm not thinking about myself. It's such an all-consuming love. It's such an overwhelming love that it's totally self-forgetful. I'm not, I'm not even thinking about myself. It's not about me. I'm ready to sacrifice myself for you because it's you. And it's all I care about is you. What makes you happy? It's not about me. It's what makes you happy. Even if it, I have to inconvenience myself, even if I have to sacrifice myself. If it makes you happy, that's all that matters. This is a, 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 rare, a rare love.
This is the love that only a tzaddik experiences. Who has such a love? Whether it's marriage or any, I mean, this is, this is a, a love which is an incredible type of love. Most of us have never even been touched by such a love. It's a love that's beyond our reach, beyond our capacity. And continue. To do what is gratifying to him alone, and not for the purpose of quenching his soul's thirst for Hashem. But he must be like a son who strives for the sake of his father and mother, whom he loves more than his own body and soul. As explained above in chapter 10, as explained above, this degree of love was experienced by Moses, who sacrificed himself utterly in order to secure the unification of the Jewish people with Hashem. His love was similar to that of a child who is ready to give his very life for his parents' sake. How then can every Jew be expected to summon up this lofty level of love, which is a prerequisite for the desire to unite all Jewish souls with their godly source? Nevertheless, every person should habituate himself to this intent. For though it may not be in his heart in perfect and complete truth, so that he should long for it with all his heart. For in order to truly do so, one must have attained a totally selfless love for Hashem. Nevertheless, to some small extent, his heart genuinely desires it because of the inborn love in every Jewish heart to do whatever is the supernal will of Hashem. And this union, the union of the source of all Jewish souls with the infinite Ein Sof life, it's his true desire. Okay, so in a way, it is genuine because we have a genuine desire to connect with Hashem. How do we connect with Hashem? By doing His will. And we know that it is Hashem's will that the entire Jewish entity, the entire Jewish people should be connected with Hashem. So although we don't, it's not our will, it doesn't matter. Once we know that this is what Hashem wants and we know that Hashem is Hashem thinks broader than us. Hashem thinks of, Hashem is whole. Hashem thinks of the whole, not just the individual. Hashem cares about every individual and also the whole. Hashem incorporates everything. Therefore, since we know that this is Hashem's genuine desire, and I care about what Hashem wants, and that's genuine, I really want to connect with Hashem by doing Hashem's will. And this is Hashem's will that I should connect the entire Jewish people. So if this is what Hashem wants, I'm doing it for Hashem's sake. It's my connection. My connection to Hashem is by doing what Hashem wants of me. So that, that part is genuine. Even though I can't relate to this desire, it's not my wish, it's not my desire, but it's Hashem's desire. And I want to connect with Hashem, and I want to do what Hashem wants. So it's enough for me to know that this is what Hashem wants. This is what Hashem wants, then... I want to do whatever Hashem wants. Whatever pleases Hashem, I want to do. Because that's my connection. That's how I connect with Hashem. So that's, that's genuine enough. So there is some element of um, sincerity here. I'm not totally overreaching or totally pretending or faking it. No. I know that for Hashem, this is meaningful. For Hashem, it's very meaningful. I can't see the bigger picture. I can't see the forest from the trees. 
but Hashem sees the forest. I know that. If it's meaningful to Hashem, fine, I'm doing it. You know, Hashem, I'm doing this for you. It means nothing to me. I'm doing this for you. And that's good enough for me. I'm genuinely doing this for you. I don't understand it. I don't see it. But if it means so much to you, it means so much to you that the Jewish people are all one. And every individual belongs and is connected and is part of the whole. And it means so much to you that every Jew should feel part of the whole. Part of something larger than all of us put together. Even if I don't feel that sense of whole. But if it means so much to you, that's, that, that's enough for me. You know, it's like a orchestra could be made up, a symphony could be made up of a hundred piece band. So sometimes you're playing your instrument and you're so lost in playing your instrument you don't appreciate, you're a loner, you're an individualist. You don't, you're not a communal person. You're not, you're not thinking about harmonizing yourself with everyone around you. But you know, this is your offering to Hashem. Listen, Hashem, I'm going to play my music. If my music is part of something larger than myself and you can use my music and, and make out of it together with everyone else's music a whole symphony, that's fine. I, whatever, whatever pleases you, whatever works for you. I'm here to serve you. You can take what I'm doing and make it more than it is and make it something larger than myself and make it part of something, some, something greater. That's fine. So I'm faithfully and loyally going to serve you and connect with you and knowing that this means so much to you. That it's not just about me, but it's also about the whole. So that's sincere. That part is sincere. That part is, is genuine even though I can't really experientially really relate to that sense of whole, to say that I really, I care about it. I don't care about it, but Hashem cares about it. And that's enough for me. I care about whatever Hashem cares about. If it means so much to Hashem, and that I know for a fact, it means so much to Hashem to connect the entire Jewish people and that I'm part of something, some, of the whole Jewish people, then fine. If it means so much to you, then it's meaningful to me. And therefore, I'm going to think this thought. I'm going to incorporate it in my thinking. And I'm doing this mitzvah not just for my sake, but I'm doing it for the sake of the entire Jewish people. And by them, an extension, the entire world. Connecting the Jewish people with Hashem. Because it's only when the entire Jewish people every individual Jew and the entire Jewish people are connected with Hashem, it's only then that the whole world will fall into place. It's only then that the world will come together, will connect. When the Jews are the connectors of the world, they are connected and they are the connectors of the entire world. When the Jew is connected, every last individual Jew and the entire Jewish people as a whole, when they are plugged in and they're connected to Hashem, then the whole world comes into focus. The whole world becomes connected. The whole world becomes a godly place, a connected place, where you sense that connection. That's what Hashem wanted. Hashem wants, we're all connected. At the root and at the source, we're all connected. But that's hidden. That's buried. That's not good enough. That's potential. Hashem wants to reveal that connection. Unification means to reveal that unity, to reveal that connection. That God should be manifestly connected with the Shekhinah, with His manifestation, with the entire Jewish people. And when God becomes manifest in that way, when the Jewish people have their act together, 
and they are godly and think divine think in a divine way and speak in a divine way and act in a divine way think Jewish, speak Jewish, act Jewish as spelled out in the code of Jewish law and the Torah then the entire world becomes connected with Hashem God becomes manifest, revealed everything falls into place the world suddenly becomes coherent because you know, God creates the world with words and letters but words and letters when they're put together when they're coherent the words and letters have meaning but when you scramble the words and letters then the words and letters are meaningless that's what happened God scrambled the words and the letters it's a puzzle and our mission the mission of the Jew is to put the words and letters back together and you know, when your words and letters are back together, you don't even notice the letters. When you're reading and you understand the language, you don't even notice the letters. You're not even paying attention to the letters because you're paying attention to the content. The letters are completely nullified to the content. It's when you don't understand the content, all of a sudden, all you notice are the letters. Try, try reading a, uh, a Chinese paper. <laughs> if you don't speak Chinese, it's, it's all, all you notice are the letters. If, you, if you're trying to read a foreign language, that's all you notice. But someone who reads the language or understands the language, you don't even notice the letters. What letters? What letters? I read the content. Someone told me they did an experiment where they took words and every word was spelled wrong. And yet, people were able to read it. They didn't even notice. You, you, you understand? It was no problem. Because you're not even paying attention to the letters. You're paying attention to the word, the content. So in a proper world, the letters are completely nullified to their content. In a world where godliness is manifest, all you notice is the inner, the content, the godly energy. That when God created the world, this world was a garden of Eden. Everything was coherent. The letters were all put together. Everything was clear. You saw the content, the inner content. You looked at this world, you immediately read and understood and sensed the inner content of the world which is godliness. Everything in this world is just a metaphor for God. That's all. There's nothing else. But then, as a result of Adam's sin, all of a sudden, the letters all got scrambled up. Now this world looks like a gibberish, nonsense. All we notice are letters, shapes, letters, disconnected, disjointed, no meaning, no content. And the mission of the Jew is to bring those letters back together. The Shekhinah, bring the Shekhinah together. Make the Shekhinah whole again. So God could be revealed, God could be manifest. So God's reality, the inner content, God's holiness, and the divine and the infinite could be manifest in this world. And when Mashiach will come, then godliness will once again become manifest in this world. So even though it may not be genuine for us, because who's, who's walking around with this existential angst? The world is out of shape. The world is distorted. And it's my mission in life to restore the whole world back to its pristine state. Bring it back to the Garden of Eden. Who, who even thinks like that? Everyone thinks about himself. My life is a little out of order. Let me get my life together. Let me learn a little Torah. Let me do a little mitzvah. Let me do a little good deeds. Let me connect. Let me become a little more genuine. You know, we, we don't think beyond ourselves. But who thinks in terms of the whole? 
the whole universe is upside down. The whole universe is kakai. The whole universe is distorted. And it's our mission to bring the whole universe back into focus. Not just myself. Every single Jew. The entire Jewish community. And through them, when the Jews get their act together and they become connected in a revealed way, they connect the entire world. Suddenly the whole world comes together and the whole world comes into focus. But who thinks like that? Even the most spiritual Jew, even the most religious Jew, people live their lives, they care about their communities, care about themselves, go through their entire lives from cradle to grave, raising the children honestly and faithfully, serving God fervently and joyfully. You have Hasidic enclaves all over the world. And they're very happy caring about themselves, their families, their immediate communities. And that's it. That's their purview. Who thinks about the entire Jewish people? Who cares? I mean, <laughs> I have to care about myself. I have to worry about myself. I have to take care of myself. Life is challenging enough. Life is difficult enough. I'm going to carry the whole world on my shoulders. I mean, come on. And that's how most people live their lives. So the Alter Rebbe is telling us here, a Jew can't live that way. He's challenging every Jew that's alive in our day and age. Don't lead a selfish life, a spiritually selfish life. Because if all you think about is yourself, my fervor, my joy, my connection with God, and I neglect and don't pay attention to the existential angst of all those Jews around me, who due to no fault of their own never had a Jewish upbringing, and have no conscious connection, no visible connection to anything godly. Living in a spiritual wasteland, spiritual desert. And all I care is about myself. I'm happy, I'm satisfied, I'm growing, I'm content, I'm learning in yeshiva, I'm learning in Jerusalem, don't bother me. Let the world go to hell, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I'm connected, I'm okay. A Jew can't think like that. Salta Rebbe says, yes, you want to fake it, fake it. But this is an imperative. You must, this must be part of your spiritual frame of reference. This must be part of your spiritual makeup. Don't approach God otherwise. Don't think you can approach God selfishly. If you approach God selfishly and all you're thinking about is me, myself, and I and my limited little community and not realizing that God is much bigger than your limited community. God created the whole world, the whole universe. And the whole universe is out of place. And God is suffering. Moses is still stuck in the desert. And the whole world is distorted. And you're doing a mitzvah. It's not just you doing a mitzvah. As Maimonides says, every Jew is obligated to say to himself at all times and all places that the entire world is on an equal scale. And that by I doing one single good deed, not only a good deed, one single good, good word, not only a good word, one single positive good thought. I have the power to single-handedly tip the scale and bring redemption to myself and to the entire world. This is a halacha. Every Jew is obligated at all times to always think in these terms. It's not just about me. The whole, I am carrying the whole world on my shoulders. I have the awesome privilege, not only guilt trip, but the awesome privilege to be able to tip the scale and bring redemption to the whole world. This must be part of our thinking. Now, the Rebbe is begging and pleading with us. This is, this is a must. You have, this has to become part of your thinking. Don't worry about overreaching and don't worry about if it's genuine or not genuine. It's genuine enough. 
Because you know that God cares about it. You know that there's a bigger picture. It's not just about me. Yes, we're selfish. And he's spiritually selfish. And even now, love of God and spirituality, it's an isolated individual quest. But there's something much larger going on. And God doesn't only care about you. There's someone beyond you also. There's your neighbor. There's the other person. There's a bigger picture. Never forget that. So even if you don't feel it, but know that God means it. And if, it's, if it, God cares enough about it, that's good enough for me. I should care about it. I care about what God cares about. I want to connect with God. How do I connect by God, with God? By doing what God wants. I know that God is not just thinking about me. God is also thinking about everyone. And therefore, that's, that has to become part of my, my thinking. So this is a very essential idea. And the Rebbe, our Rebbe took this and, and made it the call of our generation. The theme of our generation. That we can't just live for ourselves. A Jew can't just live for himself. A Jew has to live for another. You have to think about the Jews in your building, your acquaintances. You have to open your eyes to other people in this world, not just you, and care about them and think about them. Don't worry so much if it's genuine or not genuine. Just do the deed. That's all that matters. Do the deed. Do the mitzvah. And have in mind that this mitzvah is not only going to affect me, it's going to affect the entire Jewish people. And it's going to please God because it's unifying God and the entire Jewish people. My soul, the source of my soul, the source of all souls, with the, with the source, with the ultimate source, which is Hashem. So this must become part of our thinking. You must broaden your horizon. You must expand. You can't be so narrow-minded. You can't be so limited. There's no excuse. Don't hide behind, well, I want to be genuine. Don't be so genuinely selfish. <laughs> there's a lot more going on here than meets the eye. And there's a whole world that's waiting for redemption and for elevation and for unification. And Hashem himself is waiting. So care about that. You could care about that. Even if you don't feel it. But, um, you know, like, uh, this is not something to be thinking, uh, to, to be focusing on all day long. It, it's as if you need to set us, you know, like we're doing right now, we're meditating on it. We've set us, that's why this idea of setting aside time in the morning and in the evening for these kinds of thoughts, so that then we've assimilated into, in, into ourselves and we just act on it naturally during the day. Because during the day, things are happening so fast that you can't really, you, you know, like you say, I mean, what are we, tzaddikim? I mean, we can't, like, act on this by thinking these thoughts while things are... So, apparently, what happens is we daven in the morning, we set aside time, we do some learning in the morning, we meditate on this at night, and then somehow, just naturally, is that right? Well, well, he's going to address it actually later on, later on, later on in the chapter. It doesn't become part of your nature if you do it that way. Though. It doesn't become part of your nature. No, well, it's, you become compartmentalized. It's like you set aside time to do it, but then it doesn't stay with you. It doesn't become part of your nature. 
You have to you have to accept it as to say, okay, this is I accept this. I accept this. When you accept it, then Hashem has the vehicle to, you become the um, the, 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 the vessel to receive. The will to receive. Because without the will to receive, you know, Hashem's not gonna bang his head against the wall. Okay? He's not gonna coerce you or put you into something. Then, like, certain things will happen in your life. So what is this all about? And you can't figure it out. You know what? Don't figure it out. So I think, like, Rabbi says, even if you don't know what's going on, make believe you know what's going on. Because by doing that alone, I think that elevates you and says, all right, you really want to know. Here's a little more. Until eventually, that's the internalization, I think. Well, it, seems, yeah, it sorry. seems to be a stumbling block to the Shia. What you're talking about now seems to be the, what's going on, what's really... Uh, this is not happening and it's not even... People are not even aware of what... Well, I have to say it is happening more and more yeah, yeah. because, you know, the Rebbe was the pioneer, but... Uh, Almost every group in the Jewish community has already adopted this approach. We're of Kirov, of, of, of reaching out to other Jews and trying to befriend other Jews and bring them closer with sweetness and love. But not only Chabad, it has Quran in every community in the world. Everyone is doing it without giving credit where it's due, but everyone has adopted this approach. So this approach has caught on like wildfire because it's the only approach. So it has succeeded beyond, in other words, the Rebbe did expand, our whole generation expanded the, the horizons. It's not just about me, it's about helping another Jew, helping, you can't just live in your own isolated pocket and live a selfish life and say, I'm learning Torah, I'm praying, I'm connected. What do I care what's happening out there? It's none of my business. I have to protect myself, I have to shield myself, I have to protect my family. You know, why worry, why bother, why get engaged? No longer. Today, everyone is trying to reach out and to, to try to bring other Jews, uh, you know, connect them I with like Hashem. The modern Orthodox uh, communities now, they're having the job networks because they want to help people oh, with the recession right. and stuff like right. that. That's a reaching out. Anyway, physical or spiritual. But the, the Hasidic way is we say L'Shem Yichud in the morning. We say it once before Bar Shammar in right. prayer. And we only say it once. It's enough for us because the thought then becomes, it sets the tone for the whole day. It becomes part of our thinking. Now, the Rebbe is saying here that every time you do a mitzvah, you should think the concept of L'Shem Yichud Kuchu That I'm doing this mitzvah not only for myself. You're putting on tefillin, you're lighting a candle, you're giving tzedakah, whatever you may be doing, think to yourself. A, I'm doing this to serve God. But B, I'm also doing this to connect my soul, the source of my soul, the source of the souls of the entire Jewish people with our ultimate source with Hashem. So it, weave it in to, to your thinking. Every mitzvah that you do, broaden your horizons. It's not just me. There's something much bigger going on. This is what the Shema, when it says, talk about it all day, think about it all day, tell it to everybody, keep it on your, in your head, keep it on your arm. Everything is Hashem, okay? And by doing that, other people pick up and say, what's going on over there? And that, I think, is the seed that germinates and brings them in, you know? 
Enthusiasm is contagious, That's 100%. It. And this union, the union of the source of all Jewish souls with the infinite Ein Sof light in his true desire, namely the supernal union in the world of Tzilu, which is produced by an arousal from below through the divine soul's union and absorption in Hashem's light that is clothed in the Torah and the commandments in which it is engaged, so that they, the divine soul and Hashem, become one in reality, as has been explained above, and thus one affects the union in the world of Atzilut. For by reason of this, the source of the Torah and the commandments, i.e. the Holy One, blessed be He, is united with the source of the individual's divine soul, which is called Shekhinah, expressed in terms of the different levels of supernal illumination. These are the categories of filling all worlds and of encompassing all worlds as explained elsewhere at length. When you learn Taira, your conscious mind is learning Taira, but your conscious mind is just one part of your soul, your conscious level of your soul, but there's also the subconscious level of your soul. The conscious mind is just the tip of the iceberg. When you're learning Taira, it's not just your conscious mind that's learning, through your conscious mind, your subconscious is engaged in that learning. And the Torah that's revealed to us, that's only the conscious level of the Torah. Again, the tip of the iceberg. Underneath it is there's an infinite depth, an infinite uh, divine depth to the Torah. It's God's mind to the Torah that we can understand as God's revealed mind. But then there's also God himself, so to speak, which God's mind is part of God. So God's infinite self is in, in the Torah. So your soul, it's not only your mind that's connecting to the mind of God, it's your soul that's connecting, so to speak, to the soul of the Torah. Is that connection what they described as Shekhinah here? This? So the Shekhinah is the part that's revealed. Shekhinah means Hashem dwells. When they say the Shekhinah is in the temple, the Shekhinah God's presence is felt. That means God's presence is felt. When you say a place is holy, God's presence, the Shekhinah is in the temple. God is everywhere. What do you mean the Shekhinah is in the temple? God is only in the temple. It means His, his presence is felt in the temple. Shekhinah means Shashoichin, that He rests, He dwells, you can sense His presence. So that's the revealed part. So when you study Torah, that's the revealed part, the part that you can grasp. The part yeah, that that can... only happens when we have a connection with all people. Right? We can't, uh, you know, feel God's presence by just doing it alone in isolation. No. Right, right, right. With this, with this unit, with this no unity, there's no God. The definition of God is unity and community. That's why you have no minion. You can be Moses so himself. It's interesting you can't say Kaddish. We're not, we're not thinking in these terms, like, say, in the morning minion or something like that. But, like, but whether you're thinking it or not, it's happening. Right, you're well, standing in a community. Dominion. You're standing in the community, right, exactly. That's the power of the community. That's why everything in Judaism and prayer is the ultimate expression because prayer is the ultimate personal, spiritual, subjective. You're lost in prayer. It's your personal, spiritual intimacy with God, and yet you don't do it alone. You do it in a minion. There's a community because the only approach to God is unity. That's the definition of God is God is unity. And from God's point of view, it's the un ultimate unity in everything. And we're all connected and we're all interrelated. So if you approach God as an isolated individual, as someone sitting on a mountaintop and meditating, isolated, 
you lost God. Because God cannot be manifest if there's no unity. If it's all about me, myself, and I, even if you're the most spiritual, the most sublime, God is not present. Ten Jews come together, it says even an angel can't be in their presence. Hashem has to be in New York because there's always a line. There's always more than ten people in all. When ten Jews get together, even an angel is burnt up. If an angel would be burnt up by that manifestation, by that presence. When ten Jews get together, there is a manifestation of Hashem. Because ten represents the, the community. So when ten, even sitting at a cafe and sitting together, right. even if they're not learning Torah, even if they're not doing mitzvahs like we learn, there is a, a presence. There's a manifestation of the Shekhinah. And it's a revealed manifestation. And an angel can bear that presence, to stand in that presence, because it's too intense, it's too overwhelming. So when is God revealed? When do the sparks fly? When there's community, when it's not just about myself. Should there be some sort of physical revelation as well? Well, it depends. The great ones, the great tzaddikim, the Talmud says that Hillel had 80 students. Some of them were worthy of prophecy on the level of Moses. The holiest of his students was Yonason ben Uziel. He visited his grave in Israel. And the smallest of his students was Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, who saved the Jewish people uh, during the destruction of the Second Temple in this time period. Yonason ben Uziel was so holy that when he studied Torah, even a bird would fly above, the bird would be consumed by the flame, by the fire. It was so intense that the bird died, the bird expired, the bird couldn't take the intensity. Now, we study Torah, the birds fly, nothing happens. But Yanis and Benazil study Torah. The wall, right? All the birds are flying. Right, right, right. Watch out, the birds. Right, 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 exactly. Thank God it's only birds that fly. But the. But when Yanis and Benazil learns Torah, it's the Shekhinah is so manifest that the birds are consumed. So there was once a, someone who was opposed to Hasidism. He was very cut and dry. You know, he, he only learned the technical part of the Torah. He was completely tuned out of the soul of Torah, the spirituality yeah, of Torah. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you learn this Talmud, you're, you're in awe. What a holiness, what a holy tzaddik, what a holy Jew this Yenison ben Nazil was. That he causes godliness to become so manifest, so tangible that a bird expired if it flew over. But this mechanical, technical being who was so technical and so mechanical that anything spiritual eluded him, he was only interested in one question. Was Rabbi Yonason ben Azil obligated to pay the damages for the birth? <laughs> as a result, as a result of his Torah. So this, this is a soulless, a soulless person who missed the whole point of the story in the Talmud. But the Talmud is telling us the holiness of Yom Semenazir was so holy that it was manifestly holy. We, the holiness is there, but it's not manifest. Ten Jews sitting together in a cafe in Tel Aviv, you don't sense the holiness. Not exactly you're walking by and you feel the electricity, but it's there. And a bird, would, a malach, an angel, cannot be in that presence because of that holiness, because there's a gathering, there's a community. The Shekhinah is present. Um, but but if, if the holier the person, the more manifest the level of godliness. So it all depends on, on you. It all depends where you're at. 
on a level of his soul. It all depends how clear, how crystal clear, how manifest godliness is in your consciousness, in your soul. The more manifest godliness is in your soul, the more manifest godliness becomes manifest all around you. It says when the tzaddik prays, the tzaddik has an effect not only on himself. And the greater the tzaddik, the, the greater the manifestation. Like one tzaddik prays, everyone in the synagogue suddenly felt inspired by his prayer. Inspired. Because the holiness that he drew down as a result of his prayer affected everyone in the room. You know, a greater tzaddik prayed, he affected the whole city. The whole city suddenly felt more inspired. A greater tzaddik prayed, he affected the whole country. So it depends on the intensity of your soul. It depends on the depth and the sincerity and the genuineness of your soul. The holier you are, the more manifest godliness becomes in your life. And as a result, as a consequence, that's why the tzaddikim miracles happen. You know, when godliness becomes so manifest, like the Baal Shem Tev, everything about the Baal Shem Tev was miraculous because godliness was so manifest. He, he, he brought down godliness in such a manifest way. His soul was on fire that by way of nature, it was almost second nature to him that miracles were, 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 were falling all around him, the miracles. Every, everything about the Baal Shem Tev is connected with a miracle so much so it became a saying, a Baal Shemske miracle. It's like the ultimate miracle, a Bashem type of miracle, an astonishing miracle, something that completely shatters nature. Because the Bashem was so holy that he brought, literally brought so much holiness into this world that he, he, he created uh, um, the ultimate miracle. But when a Jew doesn't think about himself, not, not, of course you think about yourself, but doesn't only think about it. When you also think about others, that brings about the greatest miracle. Because the greatest miracle that we a witness to in our day and age, something that's unprecedented in Jewish history. Hundreds of thousands of Jews, young Jews, without the benefit of a Jewish education, have rediscovered Judaism with a vengeance, literally in every corner of the world. Jewish life is flourishing and thriving like never before, despite communism, despite Hitlerism, despite, despite Western, West, Western, despite, and despite Western assimilationism, and yet, even after being cut off for three generations, so many hundreds of thousands of Jews are rediscovered their connection with Hashem. Where did this come from? Where did this begin? It all began because there was a group, there was a community. And, you know, the Rebbe's community, the Babich community. And the Rebbe got them to go out of their boundaries, to go out of their limits, to start thinking about not just themselves, but to broaden their horizon, to think about their fellow Jew, to make it their responsibility to care about every Jew in the world, and to literally move out and go and open Chabad houses, leave the comforts of their homes, of their families behind, do something that was never done before in Jewish history, unprecedented, to care so selflessly about a Jew in Hawaii, in Alaska, and in Japan, in Seoul, Korea and in, in China and Beijing and in, in, uh, in India anywhere in the world and because when a Jew broadens his horizon and doesn't only think about himself that brings about the greatest revelation of Hashem the greatest miracle and you see this miraculous phenomenon this renaissance of Jewish life which is a phenomenon it's a phenomenon for the ages 
This never happened before in Jewish history on such a scale, such a global scale. And it's only growing and expanding and deepening with each passing moment. So this is a result. When, when you bring the Shekhinah into this world, this is very real. We're not, this is not... Something very real is happening. Even if you don't feel it, and even if you can't relate to it, and even if you can't really connect with it on a genuine level. And you think to yourself, listen, if it's important to Hashem, I'm doing it because it's important to Hashem. It's important to the Rebbe. I don't understand. It doesn't mean... But to say that I care about every Jew in Alaska, every Jew in Hawaii, but it doesn't matter. You know it's important to Hashem. This is what Hashem wants. This is what Hashem cares about. And you act on it, and it becomes part of your thinking. And it doesn't have to be expressed only necessarily by becoming a shliach, uh, an ambassador of the Rebbe, a personal emissary of the Rebbe. Every Jew in our generation could become a shliach, is an ambassador of Hashem. Not only for himself and for his immediate family, but for the wider community. Every one of us has to become a leader and think about touching every Jew in our building, every Jew in our block, every Jew we come in contact with. Ultimately, not only Jews, every human being we come in contact with. And we have to widen our horizon, think a little more, more broadly. And if we do that, we bring the Shekhinah we bring the manifestation of Hashem into this world and which creates a miraculous phenomenon. This is the greatest miracle, the most astonishing miracle. Who would have believed after the Holocaust Jewish life was written off? Became a museum piece. Yeah, you had pockets here, pockets there. But that's all it was, pockets, remnants, dying remnants. 5% of the Jewish community was observant. It was a dying remnant. Jews were demoralized, were crushed, materially, spiritually. We, were, we chopped off, Hitler, Hitler chopped off the head. He took the best, the cream of the crop, the leadership. It was, it was a, a generation of orphans, spiritual orphans. And look at this miraculous phenomenon that, we, we, that we're witness to today. The total renaissance of Jewish life, Jewish pride, Jewish life. Flourishing, thriving, mitzvot, Torah, selflessness, goodness, kindness, reaching out. Not only living in your own little spiritual, spiritually selfish life, but looking beyond yourself, seeing another Jew, caring about another person, broadening your horizons, inviting other people to your home. This is all happening. This is the greatest miracle. <laughs> this is a Bashemska miracle happening in, right before our eyes. We're sitting in one of these manifestations right here. This Chabad house is one of 30, 3,600 Chabad houses all over the world just like this. These are 3,600 lighthouses, miracles that have sparked so many other miracles throughout the Jewish world. So much goodness. So there are consequences. When you broaden your horizon and you do the right thing, then you bring Hashem's presence into this world. And you reveal those miracles. And those miracles are only growing and expanding. And we haven't seen anything yet. These are just the seeds. And one Jew reaches another Jew and reaches another Jew. And before you know it, you reach every Jew in the world. Uh, but here, you're talking about the ethical aspects. I mean, interspersed in all of this is uh, doing mitzvahs. 
for you know the practical mitzvah. In other words, by doing the practical mitzvah, this is bringing Hashem into the world. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not talking about ethical. I'm talking about not only ethical. Mitzvot, ethical oath of mitzvot. The mitzvot between man and man. Right. The mitzvot between man and God. Every time you put on tefillin, every time you're studying Torah, you're having in mind, I'm not just doing this for myself, and I'm also doing this for the, for the rest of the Jewish people. Which manifests itself, that it's not enough that I put on tefillin. What this means practically is that you, whenever you travel, you take a pair of tefillin with you. Because maybe I'm going to meet a Jew who hasn't put on tefillin yet, and I say, hey, come here, let's put on tefillin. Because I'm not just thinking about myself. My film wasn't just for myself. I'm putting on film for... I want to connect the entire Jewish people. So if I can get a Jew who has never yet, may perhaps never put on film in his life, or never put on film since his bar mitzvah, and to get him to put on film, Or if I light a Shabbat candle, I can encourage a Jewish woman to light a Shabbat candle. If I give tzedakah, I can inspire someone else to give tzedakah. I have a mezuzah on my door, I can inspire my neighbor to also have a mezuzah on my door. Not just think about yourself. Include in your mitzvot, in your divine mitzvot, your connection to man and God, include another Jew. That's the beauty of this. It's not just man and man. Even man and God. I'm putting on mezuzah, I'm putting on tefillin. What, what is That's my personal business. No. It's not just my mezuzah, my home, my tefillin. How about the other Jew? Did, did I make sure that he's putting on tefillin? That he has the opportunity to put on tefillin? Did I make sure that his door has a mezuzah? All these basic, simple things which are between man and God. You would think it's man and God. It's me and God. Well, what's what's have, what's have to do with anyone else? That's what the Rebbe is trying to impress on us. It has everything to do with everything else. It's not just about you. Don't lead a spiritually selfish life. There's no room in Jewish life for selfishness, for spiritual selfishness. Isolationism. And the ultimate example is Moshe. Moshe sacrificed himself. Moshe would have been very happy staying in the desert which would allow him to continue his meditation and quiet. And he would have reached very great levels. To him, to become a leader was a sacrifice. He wrestled with God for seven days. He genuinely refused to become a leader. He didn't need a headache. He, he wasn't interested. And yet, that was the ultimate sacrifice for the Jewish people. And he was ready to sacrifice his place in the Torah for the Jewish people. That's the ultimate love. Moshe was a manifestation of that love. For Moshe, it was genuine. For the Rebbe, it's genuine. Because the Rebbe and Moshe have that love for God. The Moshe of our generation have that great love, that selfless love, that all-consuming love for God. And by them, it's genuine. So when we're plugged into Moshe, we're connected to Moshe, we're connected to the Rebbe, so we can live that life, even though we don't experience that level of love but we can live our life accordingly an unselfish life not just thinking about yourself and you know what it doesn't take away from your own spiritual growth on the contrary the more you help another the more you grow the more the deeper you are the more genuine you are the more spiritual the more your mitzvot are alive the more, the more, you're, the more you're successful in your own Torah learning in your own divine service the more genuine you become. It's not one or the other. I'm sacrificing one for the other. They enhance each other. One feeds on the other. It's like pouring kerosene on the flame. It just, it just, your, your individual growth fuels your communal sense. Your communal sense spurs your individual growth. And it's a never-ending, virtuous cycle of constant growth and movement and change and expansion and, 
And uh, this is how you bring the divine manifestation, the, the godliness into this world, which, like we learned earlier, brings blessings into this world. Sweetens, we learned last week, it sweetens all the severities and sweetens all the negative energies. And, um, and we see it. We see the miraculous results in our day and age just by a shift of focus, just by a change of focus. That's all it takes, awareness. If you don't have the awareness, you don't have the education, you don't have the... then nothing could happen. Everything remains dormant, the potential remains locked up, the diamond remains in the rough, and nothing happens. You have to reveal it. You have to, God is everywhere, but if it's not revealed, it doesn't help us. We have to reveal. You have to actualize all this potential. And the way to actualize, the spark that actualizes this potential is by awareness, broadening the horizon, thinking about the Jewish whole. It's not just about me. Always remembering every individual act, every single act, even between mitzvot between man and God that I'm doing for my own spiritual growth, always remember, it's not just about me. There's something much, much deeper going on here, much greater than myself. Always plug into that hole, even if you don't feel it experientially, but it's the truth. It's the reality. It is happening, and it's very real. To be continued, next week we'll conclude the chapter. The Rebbe would always remind us that we are a unique generation. There's never been a generation like ours, and there never will be. We are the transitional generation, the last generation of Gullahs, of exile, and we will be the first generation of Geula, of redemption. What an awesome privilege we have, and what a sacred responsibility we carry on our shoulders. So what are we going to do about it? How are we going to bring the curtain down on the Golas once and for all? Well, Mashiach himself gave the secret away in his famous encounter with the Baal Shem Tev. He tells the Baal Shem Tev that when your wellsprings and the teachings of Hasidus will spread to every corner of the world, then and only then will Mashiach come. And therefore the Alter Rebbe sacrificed his life to carry out this directive to the Baal Shem Tev by writing and publishing the Tanya. And all the Rebbe's sacrificed themselves to publicize and to expound on the teachings of the Tanya. And the Rebbe, the seventh, the Shabbos of all the Rebbe's, published over 6,000 Tanyas, literally in every city of the world. And now, for the first time in history, through LessonsInTanya.com, Tanya in depth is available and accessible. 24-6, to hundreds of thousands, Jews as well as non-Jews, in dozens of countries all around the world. Now that you've had the personal experience and the pleasure to study the Tanya, we ask you to please partner with us to make the entire Tanya available and easily accessible to each and every Jew and to the entire world. Please help turn the wish of Mashiach, the dream of the Alter Rebbe, and the vision of the Rebbe into a reality. On behalf of all of us here at LessonsInTanya.com, thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. And a special thank you for the good deed that you're about to do. In honor of your tzedakah, we will merit the coming of Mashiach now. 
when we'll learn Tanya from the Alter Rebbe himself.